on praising and glorifying God. You know, if you're like me, and, and of course this is a real simplification of prayer, but it's kind of like it boils down to this. You know, all of us probably, well, most of us, you know, when we were little and we believed in Santa Claus, you know, we would write a letter to Santa Claus and we'd say, Dear Santa Claus, two things. One, I believe in you. And two, I've been a good boy. And because I believe in you and because I've been a good boy, here's my list. And often, sometimes, that's how we're tempted to pray. Hey, God, I believe in you, and I've been good, and because I've been good, here's my list. And, boy, you know, Jesus comes along in the, in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, and just teaches us a whole new perspective on prayer. He even talks about that we should have a special place to pray. He says that we should have a secret place. In other words, better than driving down the road and trying to pray and drive at the same time, which is kind of like texting and driving, probably not a good thing. So more than that, to find a place where you can get along with God without distractions. He even told us that it's really not important that you pray like a long, long time. That he's not even concerned about the number of words we pray rather than the attitude of our heart. And then he starts teaching us to pray and he begins by saying, Our Father. And I mean, remember, I still think this is so cool that if you go back to the Old Testament, you know, they saw God as like, like all powerful, like wow God. And, and only 14 times, only four times, 14 times in the entire Old Testament is God mentioned as father. And every time it's on a national level, not one time, not one time does any man pray to God as father. Not one time. And here comes Jesus early in his ministry and says, well, here's how I want you to pray. Our Father, my Father. And I love this song. You know, David's introduced a song to us on Wednesday nights. We're going to get it in here uh, one of these times. And it's really good because it talks kind of like the, the model prayer, kind of big, you know. And it says, you, you are a good, good Father. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You even heard that in songs this morning. You are a good, good Father. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I am loved. That's who I am. That's who I am, and that's who I am. And how awesome. That's what Jesus began by telling us, that we have the privilege as a Christ follower, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have the privilege of calling Creator God, this one the Israelites could not call Father. We have that right and privilege to call Him Father. And not only Father, the word is Abba, and it's dearest Father. And then he says that we should worship his name. And we try to make a big deal of that. Again, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And, and then we talked about that, that once we hallow his name, that we should pray his kingdom to come. And we learned that on the simplest level, it's the rule of God in our lives, in our hearts. That we invite God to rule because, see, kingdoms have kings. And the king is Jesus. And when we become a Christ follower, we submit to him. We subject ourselves to him. He is our king and we are his followers. And because of that, we learned that really hard thing. Remember what it was? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, God, it's not my deal. It's not my will. It's yours. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will done in heaven as I want it done on earth. The exact, exact opposite. And, and, then, and then we learned last week about depending on God. And then, then we heard, give us this day our daily bread. And we learned that, that God likes us to say daily because more than anything, God wants us to lean on Him. He wants us to depend on Him. The children of Israel learned that lesson in the manna because they went out every day and had to pick it up. And every time they picked it up, they learned God is good, God is faithful, God can be trusted. When Jesus broke the bread for the 5,000, He didn't go poof and there were happy meals in everybody's lap. No. Instead, rather, He, he says, now you, here, here's, here's a basket full, Peter. Now go give that away and come back and get some more. And doing that, 
They tr- you know, he said 5,000 men plus women and children. And every time Peter went back to Jesus with an empty basket and he saw it filled up again, he's saying Jesus is good and Jesus can be trusted. These are things that we've learned. It's just a whole different perspective on prayer. And then, and then Jesus drops the big one. He says, and it's, for, it's worded different ways, um, you know, forgive us our debts. And that's not MasterCard VZ, by the way. That's <laughs> our debt to God. You know, forgive us our debts as we even forgive our debtors. Um, some translations will say this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And sometimes you hear this. You say, you know, forgive us our sins. Oh, we know that one. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. If you see that, you see what we call the sermon title today, Grace, the X Factor. The X Factor. Because we, you know, the first part says this, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts. That's simply asking God's grace into us. God, let us experience your grace. X, experience. Let's experience your grace. And then as we forgive those who have sinned or trespassed or are debtors to us, that's the extension of grace. Remember that? A while back we talked about that. It just popped in my head one Sunday morning. As we experience grace... We are to extend grace. As we experience grace, we are to extend grace. So right in the middle of prayer, Jesus like pours that in concrete into our lives. In our prayer lives, we're to pray, first off, God, I need to experience your grace. But likewise, God, I need to extend your grace. And, you know, no matter how in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 is where the model prayer is, you know, where we are in that part of the model prayer. You know, when he says, forgive us our debts, you know, I've always noticed this. And and tell me if you think this is true. I've always noticed that when it comes to the debts or the trespasses or, or the sins, whatever it is, you know, on my part, you know, when it's me, when it's me, God, saying, hey, God, I got a debt. Hey, God, I got a trespass. Hey, God, I got a sin. Have you ever noticed in your prayer life how it's kind of like, well, God, I made a mistake. God, I had an accident. Oh, God, I had, oops. Isn't that amazing? It's how that, generally speaking, in our prayer life, when I'm going to experience God's grace, we downplay. We dumb down our sin and we say, you know, God, it really wasn't a mistake. You understand? It really wasn't a sin. You see, I made a mistake. Andy Stanley, I love this. Andy Stanley says, you know, know, a mistake is when you misbalance your checkbook. When you sin against holy God, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. I had an oops. You know, you, you know, the police officer pulls you over. Do you know how fast you're going? Oops, yeah. Boy, surprised even me. Oops. We have those. Here's the amazing thing. When we want to experience grace, it really dumbs down to mistakes and oops and accidents. But when it comes to the part as we forgive our debtors, there's a lot less grace going on. I mean, how often, how often do we, when, when someone sins against us or trespasses against us, you know, when someone happens, what's our, what's our propensity? What does it seem like we do? Do we find ourselves going, oh, you made a mistake? No, you started World War III. There's no mistake about this. You intentionally did this to me. Rarely is it, oh, you had an accident. Rarely is it that. Isn't it funny how we're experiencing grace, we see it one way, and when we are extending grace, it's another. You know, uh, oh dear, I forgot his name. I have a look. Philip Yancey. I got the Yancey and forgot the Philip. Philip Yancey wrote a really cool book 
It's kind of old now. But he was saying this is probably his best-selling book. You know, what's so amazing about grace? Anybody heard of that? Oh, well, this illustration is not going to go over. Well, trust me, it was a really cool book. It was a bestseller. What's so amazing about grace? Well, the story goes this, and he, he was telling the story, so it's true. He said he got a letter from a, from a reader, okay? And actually, he said it was a complimentary letter. It wasn't like a, you know, this kind of letter. But he got this complimentary letter from a reader, and she goes, I'm writing to thank you for your book, What's So Annoying About Grace? Well, obviously, it was a (laughs) boo-boo. The book was entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace? But she got it wrong and said, What's So Annoying About Grace? But she really didn't get it wrong because, did you know, there is an annoying side of grace. There's an amazing part of grace, and that's when it says, Forgive us our debts, because we want God to go, Amazing grace time, God. You know, forgive me of this, and forgive me of that, and forgive me of this, and forgive me of that. But it's kind of annoying... When someone slaps you in the face, when someone breaks your heart, when someone betrays you, when, when you trust someone and they violate that trust, you know, when something like that happens, grace can become very annoying. It's cool when you want to receive it. It's not so cool when you need to extend it. And that's what Jesus wants to teach us about today. We should honestly pray from authentic heart. Hey, God, I need to experience your grace because I've got some debt. I've got some trespasses. I've got some sins. But, Lord, I understand something. I am a, here's a good word, I am a steward of grace. I'm a steward of grace because I have received grace. I need to extend grace. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Now, and by the way, this will pack your... Man, if you're a parent, in a packed relationship with your kids. If you're an employee, in a packed relationship with your boss. If you're married, in a packed relationship with your spouse. It's just really a huge thing. God, I need to experience grace. And because I experience grace, I need to extend grace. Now, we're going to go to two major scriptures today, not very much else. Okay? And one is we want to learn about what happened to a guy who experienced grace. What does that look like? And, of course, there's no better place than in the life of David after the sin with Bathsheba. Um, you know, he, he has this big, long confession time. He had a little talk with Jesus, in other words, in Psalm 51. And then he writes about his experience. And we're so glad that he did. So on your sermon sheet, you'll see that Psalm 32. And we're going to look at, oh, about five verses, okay? Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. It's just a great story. When you keep in mind that David has committed adultery, David has committed murder, he's been deceitful, he's lied, um, all these things. And this is one of the heroes of the Bible. This is a guy who took out Goliath, okay? That's who this was. This is the guy, the Bible said, that he's a man after God's own heart. That's who this is. It really should be encouraging to us. So, so he starts out, and he's like on a, a, happy, a happy time. All right? He begins with verses 1 and 2. Here's what he says. And this is grace experienced. Blessed, now let me pause there. Y'all know blessed means happy and in, in a bigger sense than, oh, I got a new car, I'm happy. Okay, bigger than that. Okay, bigger than that, all right, but happy, um, joyful, joyful is the man. So whatever David's fixing to talk about has him on a hoo-hoo high. You ever been on a hoo-hoo high? It's a good day, okay? It's a good day. Now, in the Hebrew, this is even written in the plural. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Because it's like a times two effect. It's like it multiplies the effect. So we can honestly say, without, without stretching the truth at all, double happy. 
and double joyful. So, so what is this? What's, what is this? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Double happy is the person whose transgression is forgiven. Now, in each one of these cases, he uses a different word for a type of sin. In this case, this word transgression, write this down, means to step over the line. It means to cross a known boundary. When you're driving to Marion and the speed limit is 65, at 65, and we're going to be generous, at 65.5, you have crossed the boundary. You are in a state of transgression. So the word transgress means to step over a known boundary. Okay, when you're in, if you're playing basketball, there's a basketball tournament here yesterday. When you cross that blue line right there, you're in a state of transgression. You're out of bounds. That's what David is saying. He said, blessed is the man whose transgression, who has crossed the line and it is forgiven, or rather, here it is in the Hebrew, it's carried away. It's carried away. It's done away with. He goes on and says this, whose sin is covered, whose sin is covered. Is covered. The word sin there means to miss the mark. Now, again, I'm not a hunter. Not a hunter. You guys are. If you've got that 12-point buck in your sights, whether it be bow or whether it be shotgun season, it doesn't matter. It's when you pull the trigger or release the arrow and you miss. That's sin. In our case, we have a target on for God. It's when we miss the mark. And God, David says how, how double joyful it is when I miss the mark. Anyone here ever miss the mark with God? Yeah, come on, we have. You know, students you have, adults we have, kids you have, you've missed the mark. And the Bible says how blessed is it when it's covered, when it's covered. There's a great scripture in Colossians. Let me read it to you real quick. In Colossians 2.14, listen to this. And you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's big Bible language, and we won't spend time there. God made alive together with him, have forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, here's the part I wanted. By canceling, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to his cross. Now, I bet some of you guys are King Jamesers, right? Anybody here got King James Bible? Unless they've changed it, it probably says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances against us, something like that. And guess what? Beautiful picture. It's taking a bottle of ink. Here's, here's the handwriting of ordinances against us. Here's my trespasses. Here's my sin. It's made a big list. And God, God doesn't take a bottle of ink, but imagine taking a bottle of ink and just saturating the paper. So the paper no longer is white. It's totally blotted out. Unreadable, illegible, illegible. Okay? But it wasn't ink, it was the blood of Jesus. He took our trespasses and nailed them to the cross. And David says, That's a happy man. When you can say your transgressions, your sin are covered up like that, are blotted out by God, that's a really good day. Verse 2 Blessed again. Double happy, double joyful is the man of whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Who counts no iniquity. Imagine this. I've got one of those calculators. I'm sitting here going, okay. Feel like I'm God. Okay, Duane, uh, let's see here. You've got a sin debt of $634 billion. I said, wow. 
I said, let's see if we can whittle that sucker down just a little bit. And God says, all right, go for it. I said, okay, I go to church. Sorry, Dwayne, that, uh, that didn't do it, bud. You still got that debt. Well, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm a nice guy. Most people would say, now I'm not a perfect guy, but most people say, that Dwayne, he's like a ray of sunshine. He just brightens up the room. Let me add that in there. God would say, uh, that would be a no, Dwayne. It don't seem to be lower in the balance. And we would go on and on. The things that you would count good about yourself. I love my wife. I love my children. I, I, I do this. I do that. And, and God's mashing the buttons, calculating, going, it's not going down. But then God says something. God says, let me do a little calculating. Let's see. Da, da, da. One drop of the precious blood of Jesus Christ equals zero. He calculates. He calculates. And guess what? When it comes to our iniquity, our twisting, the word means, it comes up zero. Not because of what we did, but because of what He did. That's a good place for an amen, Baptist. Good place for an amen. And, and David's just going, how doubly happy is this? Isn't it awesome, guys? And then he closes out with, and in whose spirit there's no deceit, there's no treachery. And David had been treacherous. He had lied about Uriah. He tried to get Uriah to falsely sleep with his wife. It's all kind of crazy things. And David's saying it was blotted out. It was carried away. It was done. He's saying, it's a good day. It's a good day. And then to help us understand, he, he writes verses 3 and 4. And he paints a picture of a man without grace. Either A, a man who's not experienced grace at all, or a man or a woman who is living a world without grace. Because see, you know what we do? See, we sometimes view God in a wrong way. If you see God instead of a God of grace as a God of performance, that will put you in verses 3 and 4. When you're sitting there saying, I've got to perform. I have to dance for Jesus the right way. If I don't do the right moves, then God gives me his disapproval, not his approval. If I don't do certain things, then God won't smile upon me. He'll withdraw his favor, which is grace's unmerited favor. If I don't tap dance the right way, God pulls his favor away from me. Let me show you what that looks like. And by the way, there's two reasons this is important. One, you're going to be miserable. Because you're going to try to earn God's favor, which you've already earned if you've trusted Christ. And you're going to get so frustrated because you know it's not possible. But this stuff, verses 3 and 4, splashes on other people. Let me read it to you. You'll see what I'm trying to say. When I kept silent, David says. Now, for our purposes today, let me break that down to a real simple thing. When I got in my quiet room and had my prayer time, this wasn't part of my prayer. The, the forgive us our debts part didn't make the clock that day. It didn't make the list that day. It, consequently, there was no appeal to God to extend His grace. And I started living like I was a graceless person. When I kept silent, when I didn't acknowledge my sin, when God and I didn't have that honest conversation about our sin, 
Or perhaps when the conversation went like this, now God, you know it's not my fault. And God, you know it's her fault. And God, they, and God, she, and God, him. When that happens, this is how you feel and live. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. A man who was a singer to God became a groaner instead. Ever been a groaner before? Now, I know some are just naturally groaners. You know, some of y'all have the spiritual gift of groaning. But sometimes, when you find yourself groaning, and it's not like you're normally wired, you might want to check and say, is there something I've missed here? Am I living like a graceless man instead of a grace-filled man? Am I living? Not Something's not right here? That's what happened with David. He says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like the heat of summer. Salah. Think about that. He says, rather than living like a, in the valley, you know, you know, when he was talking about the, uh, the Lord's, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd, green valleys, he finds himself in a dried up place. Have you ever spiritually felt like you're in a dried up place? Oh, come on. You, you, you're recognized because what used to thrill you doesn't anymore. You used to read the word. Not, not thrilling. You used to love worship. Not thrilling. You used to love one church. Now your wife has to drag you out of bed. Your husband has to drag you out of bed. You have to bring your kids out of bed. Has something changed? There's a chance that you've allowed yourself to start living this graceless life. When you lose, when you lose focus of what God has done for you, that can happen. Let, let me. I was going to read this later, but can I read it now? And listen very carefully. This is good. This is from one of the commentaries. If we do not share his appreciation for forgiveness, David's forgiveness, it is most certainly because we do not share his understanding of sin. Can I read it again? If we do not share his appreciation for forgiveness, it's most likely because we do not share his understanding of sin. If you don't get wound up tighter than an eight-day clock because of God's amazing grace, it may be because you don't understand your own sin. When we stop understanding what He did for us, the price He paid, and how we have the right through this to call Him Father, if that no longer wows us, there's a good possibility we've lost sight of the understanding of sin. Sin is a highly offensive thing to God. And sin's a very expensive thing, both in your life and on the cross. My salvation was free, but it cost Christ everything. Everything. So you need to ask yourself today, do I sound like verses 1 and 2? It's a wow day, blessed, double happy, because, and this is why, not because I got the car, not because I got the house, not because of this, not because of that, I lost five pounds, not because of those things, but because my sins are forgiven, my transgressions, because I can call God Father, and only Father, dearest Father. Whoa. Or is verse... Three and four more your life. I feel like a drought in summer. I feel like I'm dried up. I groan all the time because I had this inner pain. They say a broken bone pain. You can tell you, if you ever had a severely broken bone, you know there is no hurt like that. And there's no, no hurt, spiritual hurt, like when your bones are dry before God. 
So what do you do with all that? Well, this is cool because David comes along. This is the, this is the grace express train. He says this in verse number five. I acknowledge, I admit it, I agreed. So whatever's about to come out of David's mouth, he says, I want you to know, me and God were on the same page. It was not an oops, it wasn't an accident, it wasn't this. Okay, God, it was a sin. I acknowledge, I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. See, write this down. You know, David said up here, um, when our when our trespass when our sin is covered, when God covers our sin, it's grace. When we cover our sin, it's a disaster. When God covers our sin, it is grace. When we cover our sin, it is a disaster. I know y'all are hot because I'm about to burn up. So hang with me. Like I, said, I feel like the drought of summer. <laughs> I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions. And let me pause here. This is a somber moment. When, when David said, I will confess my transgressions, he's acknowledged, listen now, listen, listen, listen. He acknowledged that he understood the gravity of the situation. I think he understood the gravity of his sin and the future gravity of the price that would be paid for his sin. I believe he understood the gravity of the moment. Uriah's death, Bathsheba's adultery with, uh, adultery with Bathsheba. The, his family was never the same. He starts understanding the gravity of that moment. But he also understands the gravity of the moment. Let, let me show something to you. Let me tell you something. Um, I know I'm kind of weird, but I, on Saturdays particularly... Uh, there's this thing called Proverbs 31 Ministry. It's a ministry to women. But they have some really, really good Bible teaching. And on Saturday, they do like a week of wrap-up. Well, I was telling Judy about the wrap-up week, and it was really, really quite good. And in, in it, it illustrates something. They're going through the book of Leviticus, and it talks about the sin offering. And the sin offering was the, was the offering that was uh, given for a... And, and again, this almost contradicts, it seems like, what, what I said earlier, an unintentional sin. But, but probably the better, better verbiage is a, uh, not a capital sin. But it's still a sin. Sin is sin. Unintentional, still sin. A capital sin is big, you know, big in one sense, and this is not a capital sin. So God made a way so that unintentional sin or sins that were not of capital nature to be forgiven. And here's what it looked like. You went out to your sheep pen, and you looked in the sheep pen, and you found a lamb. And you found a lamb that was without any kind of blemish. So you take your lamb down to the temple. And you bring it to the priest. You then lay your hands on the lamb's head and you confess that sin. Now, here's what we kind of think. That's not true. Then you hand the lamb to the priest you go on your merry way back to Walmart, zippity-doo-dah and zippity-day. But that's not what happens. You, you take the knife and you extend the lamb's neck and you slice his neck and you 
watch the blood run out. And then the priest takes the slain lamb and performs the ritual part of it. Get that moment in your mind. You bring and you cast your sins, lace your sins symbolically on the head of that lamb. And you slit his neck. Is that a somber moment for you? How many of y'all seen Risen? I thought it was a really good film, by the way. Now, it's, it's biblical fiction. I understand that. But when they took that bar and broke the thieves' legs, even though they didn't show it, I just cringed. When I read, when Judy read that to me, that I had to slit the lamb's neck, I cringed. It's a somber moment. Our confession of sin should be a somber moment as we understand it wasn't a little lamb. It was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world for my sin. I deserved the cross. I deserved death. I deserve the suffering. But he took our place. So when you acknowledge your sin, understand the, the gravity of it, but also the gravity of the price that was paid. I think that, that happened in David's life when he said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then you forgave, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Wow. How awesome is that? Understand the price that was paid that God could extend grace to you. Amen? You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. He extended it to us because of his love for us. And not a little lamb, but the lamb of God was slain that we could experience that grace. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, that's all involved. Man, the more we can understand you know, what that sin cost and the forgiveness factor and that we have the right because of God's grace to even ask forgiveness. Wow, it's huge. And then that leads us right into this and forgive our debtors. And it's found in Colossians 3, or, yeah, Colossians 3, 12 and 14. And again, a most beautiful scripture. A most beautiful scripture. You see, in Psalm 32, we've experienced grace. And now we learn that, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we've experienced grace, it's our responsibility to extend grace. The X factor. It's our responsibility. It's not our prerogative. It's not our option. It is God's mandate that we extend grace. Look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writing to the church at Colossae, and again, the New Testament church, put on dress, if you will. I'm going to zip through this. Put on dress then as God's chosen ones. That's us, Christ followers, Christ followers. Holy, separate, set apart, and beloved. Holy and beloved. Wow, holy and beloved. You are dear, dear Father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. I am love. You are love. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's who we are. Wow. We've experienced unmerited love from God. Wow. He goes on and says, Put on therefore God's, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Write down love and action. Love and action. 
action, a word, a love that goes beyond words to action, a compassionate heart, a, a heart that loves to the point of acting. Compassionate heart. Uh, put on kindness, which is a generous response. A generous response. Uh, Dave, did we get those pictures loaded? Okay, hey, Morgan, would you throw up the first picture? Let, let me show what a generous response looks like. This is, um, we just did a study from um, Andy Stanley on marriage and staying in love. And this, uh, the mind the gap thing came from, if you ever watch travel videos, and this came from Rick Steves, and, you know, if you go to England and you ride the subway, the last thing you hear before you board the train or as you're boarding the train is, mind the gap, mind the gap. They have it recorded on their thing, mind the gap, mind the gap, because there's a gap between the dot and the train, and you need to mind that, you need to be mindful of that. Well, Andy Stanley said that, that we have expectations are expectations of people, okay? And then we have, on the other hand, the behavior of people. So we have expectations, how we think people ought to act. This could be, again, marriage. It could be church. It could be anywhere. We have expectations of how we think people ought to act. And then the truth is we have behavior on how they're going to act. And in between, that's a gap. And, and when Paul said here, when he said um, kindness being a generous response... Our generous response is when you have expectations and behavior and your expectations is one thing, their behavior is another. When you expect them to love and they're not, when you expect them to be kind and they're not, it's up to us what we're going to fill in the gap. Now, again, you can see how this works in marriage. You can see how it works on, on the job with a boss that you can't stand. It can work with a neighbor. As students, it can work with your mom and dad. You've got a certain expectation and they behave a different way. So what are we going to put in the gap? Go ahead, Morgan, next slide. We can, A, assume the worst. When there's a gap there and we have to choose what to put in the gap, we can assume the worst. The preacher didn't. My teacher didn't. My mom and dad didn't. My husband didn't. My wife didn't. She didn't. We can fill the gap and assume the worst of that person. Or we can have a generous response. Next slide, Morgan. Or we can believe the best. See, grace says to believe the best. If we have the wrong view of God and we believe God's performance-based and that's going to cause us to view people the same way, we're going to assume the worst because that's how we view God. God's up there going, I knew you were going to mess up. I knew you were going to mess up. I knew you were going to mess up. But when you put grace in the factor and grace says believe the best, God believes the best about us, we're to believe the best about others. Last slide there, Morgan. So it's our choice. What are you going to put in the gap? When, when he says, be, have a generous response, what are we going to fill the gap with? There is going to be expectations. There are going to be behavioral things. But we choose, we choose as believing the best or assuming the worst. And you know what makes the difference? How we view grace. How we view grace. How we view grace. Makes the difference. It's huge, guys. This is a game. It will, we're all going, when Andy was teaching us to, as marriage thing, we're all going, wow. Not saying it's easy, but it's wow. It's big. So Paul says then, Paul says, you know, give a generous response. Um, put on humility. Put on you first, not me first. You first. You first. Uh, a meekness, which is a, general, a gentle attitude. Have a gentle attitude about people. Um, patience, which is defined as an emotional calm. Let there be an emotional calm. And then here it goes. It's big. Bearing with one another. Bearing 
with one another. That means to endure, a willingness to endure. Some translations, I think, even use the word be willing to put up with. Because of grace. Not because that person... See, not because the person deserves it. If the person, if, you know, if you're based on what the person deserves, that'd be twisted. But no, it's because of grace. A willingness to endure. If anyone has a complaint against another, and it's going to happen, it's going to happen, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. How much? What limit? Well, he says, as the Lord has forgiven you. So, so let me ask you a question. Exactly how much do you want God to forgive you? How much? You know, you know when Trey preached on Youth Sunday, I would have drugged the scripture in a heartbeat, but he did such a wonderful job on it back in February. I won't drag it in yet. But let me ask you again. How much do you want God to forgive you? Would you like ten times? I'm not getting an answer. How much do you want God to forgive you? How about a hundred times? Jesus said limitless. Is that not true? Do you want God to say, okay, when you get saved, you want God to say, okay, I'm going to give you 100 forgiveness. After that, buddy, you're on your own. Who would want that? No. We want unlimited. We want unlimited. And Paul says, when, when you have a complaint against a brother or a sister... Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you without limits. Now watch. Look at verse 13, the end part. So you also, what? Must forgive. This is not an option. This is not, I feel like being generous today. I'm going to show a little mercy and grace here. I'm going to forgive you. It's our mandate. It's our way of life. It's the way we do business because that's the way our Savior did business. And Jesus says, in fact, that scripture that Trey pulled out says, if you don't do this, your heavenly father's not going to forgive you either. What does that mean? I'm not sure, but I don't like it. Can I have an amen? Don't like it. So Paul says, because we've experienced this amazing grace, when our brother offends us, when my wife, when, when your, my wife, my wife is not an offensive wife, but when your wife offends you, that's different. Your wife, your husband, your child, your deacon, your pastor, your friend, your neighbor, your boss. When they offend you, because not because they deserve it, but because you've experienced God's grace, you are to extend God's grace. And how many times? Over and over and over and over. As you know, that scripture that Trey did that great job on, you know, he says, Shall I forgive seven times? The rabbis taught three. Peter said seven. He thought he was being real generous with it. And Jesus came back, and depending on what translation you use, some say 77 times, and some say seven times 70. The bottom line, there's no end. There's no end. Just like God extends his grace, and we want no end, so we extend grace without end. And then if you need a little chocolate sauce on top, Paul simply says this. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wow. Father, forgive us 
our debts, our trespasses, our sins, not our mistakes, our oops, our trespasses, our sins. And then as, as you forgive us, let me extend that same grace and forgiveness to every person. And again, I just need can I have one more thing down. We are done. And believe me, it's I'm done. File this away. I know sometimes we overestimate who we are. And we would be tempted to say, but Dwayne, you understand I'm really not a bad person. Dude, you are totally depraved. On your very best day, you had nothing to bring to God. You may look across this room right now over there and say, I'm not as bad as they are. Dude, you both got nothing to bring to God. You both got nothing to bring to God. You got zero. And that's why we need grace. And because you didn't have anything and they don't have anything, we're both recipients of grace. We should be extenders of grace. Now, Real quick, I can't close without this because we reference this glorious cross, actually the Christ of the cross. And you may be sitting there going, Dwayne, I know I'm, I know I'm a sinner. I've got transgressions. I've got, I've got iniquity. I've got, Dwayne, I've got all that. And I've never asked God to forgive me. I don't, never heard about this grace thing before. I thought you went to church and kept the rules and somehow that made God happy. And because God was happy, you didn't have to go to hell. I've never heard about this grace thing. Oh, listen, we would be privileged to share with you. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front and we would be privileged to share with you today about God's amazing, wonderful grace. We would love that. We would love that. And then for us, then for us, as we get in our quiet place tomorrow and we get halfway through that model prayer, we reach the point of, Father, forgive me my sins. Understanding the gravity of the moment in His amazing grace. And then God... I don't know who it is today. You do. But help me to extend that grace to my brother, my sister, my wife. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so very much for amazing, wonderful grace. Thank you for teaching us from your word. We are so grateful that we can cry out to you as a person who's lost And come and experience your grace and receive forgiveness. But we also can come to use your children and cry out for grace and find it also. Father, we wrestle with this forgiveness thing. I know we do. I do. And God, I want to pray in Jesus' name right now that you might help us because we need your help. Extend grace. Father, when there is that gap between expectations and behavior. Help us to believe the best and not the worst. Have your way, Holy Spirit. It is you who draws men and women. It is you who speaks to hearts. I pray that you'll find an atmosphere here where you are free to work. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.